sermon audio is a presentation of First International Baptist Church of Copenhagen, Denmark. So we're now going to turn to the book of Luke, Luke chapter 24. We're going to begin our reading from verse 13. This is the text which Christian will be preaching from later for the sermon. On the road to Emmaus, that very day, two of them were going to the village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about all the things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed in word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucify him. But we had hoped that he was the one who, the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb earlier in the morning, and when they did not find the body, they came back saying that he had, that he, that, that had even seen a vision of angels, who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all of the prophets, he interpreted to them all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village where they were going. He acted as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly saying, stay with us, for it is towards evening and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, did our hearts not burn within us when he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed, and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road, and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. Book, what is a human? There's a young man named Andreas, and he's an anxious and unmotivated adolescent and doesn't know what to do with the rest of his life. He has one trusted confidant in the whole world, and that's his biologist grandmother. The only thing he's been looking forward to in as he's finishing high school is this trip across Europe that she's going to take with his grandma to explore different artistic works and exhibits that explore human identity. But now, He's just gotten the devastating news that this grandma is dying of cancer. 
and she has to back out of the trip. The story goes, though, that she, out of love for him, decides that she will pay for him to do the whole trip alone anyway. He's worried and unsure if he can handle that amount of independence as a young man, but in the end he decides to go and on the trip he sees cave paintings. Uh, he interprets uh, the paintings of the School of Athens um, that's stored in Italy. He visits a Nazi concentration camp, all the while reading this mysterious manuscript that his grandma has given to him. He comes back from this trip, unfortunately, a little too late. His grandma died of this cancer before he returned. But oddly enough, he's not depressed by this as he normally would be in his state. He soon finds out from a note from his grandma that she left before he, she died, that this manuscript that he's been reading all the while is actually written by her and she's leaving it to Andreas to finish and to publish along with a sizable inheritance, of course, for him to spend traveling the rest of the world. Um, so why do I tell this story? Because the book started with Andreas as a, as a nervous teenager, and it ends with him as a confident, independent, goal-oriented man. And what made the difference? It was experience and knowledge. In this case, experience of, of European art history and knowledge of the fact that he has an exciting future and a purpose so how about you today? Are you like Andreas when the story started? Perhaps you're unsure, anxious, maybe even just drifting in your life. Has the barrage of bad news about this pandemic crippled you? Have you had to face some skeletons in your closet while you're alone just with yourself and with your family? Many of us know people that are suffering, maybe even dying right now. In many ways, the world is in the midst of, of death, shutdown, failure. And that is exactly where we meet two disciples of Jesus, one named Cleopas and the other unnamed in our pa passage today. Um, we're going to be looking at that text that Aaliyah wrote, uh, read just a little bit ago, uh, not wrote, <laughs> in Luke 24, 13-35. And uh, now that you've heard it read, I don't think you need much more because um, I can't add much to what God has said. But let me just pray a quick prayer and ask that God will help me humbly clarify and highlight uh, a few of the things that you've already heard. God, we, uh, we thank you for today. I do just pray a simple prayer here um, that you would give me clarity and that you would help us to, to be challenged today by um, this, this story of, of two people like us um, and that you would help us to just receive the, the hope of the resurrection. I pray for my words, Lord, that you would strike anything from, from the record here that's not of you, but that your word would ring true and resonate in our souls. In Jesus' name, amen. So the story that was read a few minutes ago, at the beginning, we see these two disciples, Cleopas and, and this other man, and, and we see them beginning sad, surrendered, and cynical. In verse 17, we see that it just, the text describes them standing still, looking sad. <laughs> I, I don't know exactly what that looks like, kind of hunched and sort of kind of mopey, pathetic, really. Um, and then in verse 21, it says, they say this thing to, to this mysterious man walking with them. We had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. And you can read between the lines that what they're thinking is, he wasn't. We've just wasted all this time. 
this is a total loss. And then we see cynicism in this passage too, which is verse 22 and, and, and following, they say, these women amazed that these women of our company amazed us with this story of, of visions of angels. And then some of us went there and we saw the tomb was was messed with, but 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 there was no Jesus, and it's probably just a big a big catastrophe. And they're just cynical. They're defeated. But at the end of the story, we see these same two disciples, and they're no longer sad, surrendered, and cynical. They are hungry, happy, and hopeful. In verse 29. What do they say to this mysterious man after he's been walking them through through the Bible? They're, they're like, stay, stay with us for the evening is now far spent. They're, they're actually playing like, they're trying to manipulate him into being with them longer. They're hungry for more of this spiritual enlightenment that they've received. In verse 41, um, which is actually after our text that we read today, but it records later in Luke there that, that they say, while, while they still could not believe it because of their joy. They were overjoyed. They went from complete sadness to complete joy. And lastly, they were hopeful. In verse 35, it's, they were saying to each other, did not our hearts burn within us? Which that word literally means light a fire. There was a fire lit under them. They were hopeful. They were excited for the future. They had changed their perspective completely. They were changed. And, and we have a very special opportunity today, like Eric said, to be changed by the resurrection, by the wake-up call that God has given us in this text, but also in this crisis that we're going through. There's a unique situation right now, a unique Easter celebrating from, from your own homes. Um, it's just you and your own soul and the Lord today. There's no distractions. There's no church social dynamics. There's, there's just you and your family and the Lord. And toward the end of my message, um, I'm going to give you a chance to join these two disciples on the road of Emmaus and to be transformed. But but let's ask this question. What was the reason for their transformation? They were trans transformed by the news that Jesus was alive. You see, resurrection hope is light to the muddled mind and heat to the shuddering soul. What do I mean by that? Well, Let's just walk through the story a little bit and talk about two points. First of all, we're going to talk about the light of resurrection hope, and then we're going to talk about the heat of resurrection hope. So I've got two points today because the text seemed to only have two points, and then I've got two sub points. So not too hard to follow, I hope. Um, so let's do it. First of all, we see in this passage that there is a light that the resurrection brings. You see, faith in the resurrection includes discerning the promises of Christ in our lives. And we see that in verse 25, where Jesus, he opens the Bible to them. He opens the promises about him from the Bible that they already knew. You see, the gospel of Jesus Christ yells to us from the Bible and also from the world we're in all around us, the books we read, the nature we experience. And, and Jesus says in this passage to these disciples that they were foolish and slow of heart because they didn't believe all that the prophets had written about him. There was something missing. There was a gospel enlightenment missing from their Bible reading. And maybe 
I think that's where a lot of us maybe find ourselves. We have a lot of religion, but not a lot of relationship. We have a lot of rules, but not a lot of gospel. We have a lot of duty, but not as much delight. But but what are the basics that Christ was getting at? What 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 are the basics promises of Christ? We as Christians, we call that the gospel. And we love celebrating that over this weekend. And, and we have such joy in doing that. And you can read a great summary of that actually in 1 Corinthians 15, which is a great explanation of the resurrection, but it also in verses one to four has a really short summary of the gospel. But let me just share it again, um, because it's always good to hear, even for us Christians. God, the first the first thing is that God made us. He made us good. Um, the second thing, though, is that we rejected that goodness, especially God's goodness. And we turned away from God and said, we don't want you to be king over us. We we turn to sin. And then the third point in the basic gospel is that God, he made a way for us to be forgiven through Jesus' death on the cross and, and stepping in our place as a substitute. And then lastly, God asks us to be made right with him by turning from our sins, by repenting. And, and he made a way, so, but we have to respond to that and, and in faith and say, God, I want to give you my life and I want to be reconciled to you. That's That's the gospel. That is the simple, joyful message that these two disciples, they had lost it somehow. They were focused on other things. So I'm going to talk about this, this, this dynamic of the light of, of Jesus in, in all of our lives under two points, on two subpoints here, in the scriptures, in the Bible, and also in, our, in the world around us, um, in the, even in, in the human culture that we that we live in. So first of all, um, in the scriptures, some of us are surprised, I think, maybe when we read this passage, that, that Jesus is saying that all these promises about him, these disciples had missed. But I think that's it's really easy for us to do that, especially when we're reading the Old Testament, which would have been the, the, the promises in the Bible that they were working with at the time. So what I'm going to do right now is I'm going to quote a great author named Sinclair Ferguson at length, because no one says it better than him. Um, and for those of you who aren't familiar with the Old Testament, just be aware that what I'm doing now is I'm going to refer to a bunch of stories in the Old Testament, but show how that there are promises and shadows that are fulfilled by Christ. You ready? This is really exciting. Jesus is the true and better Adam who passed the test in the garden and whose obedience is imputed to us. Jesus is the true and better Abel who, though innocently slain, has blood now that cries out, not for our condemnation, but for our acquittal. Jesus is the true and better Abraham, who answered the call of God to leave all the comfortable and familiar and to go out into the void, not knowing whither he went to create a new people of God. Jesus is the true and better Isaac, who was not just offered up by his father on the mount, but was truly sacrificed for us. And when God said to Abraham, now I know you love me because you did not withhold your son, your only son. Now we can look to God taking his son up the mountain and sacrificing him and saying, now God, we know that you love us because you did not withhold your son, your only son. Jesus is a true and better Jacob who wrestled and took the blow of justice we deserved. So we, like Jacob, only received the wounds of grace to wake us up and discipline us. Jesus is a true and better Joseph who, at the right hand of his king, 
forgives, or right hand of the king forgives those who betrayed him and sold him and uses his new power to save them. Jesus is the true and better Moses who stands in the gap between the people and the Lord who mediates a new covenant. Jesus is the true and better rock of Moses who struck with the rod of God's justice now gives us water in the desert. Jesus is the true and better Job, the truly innocent sufferer who then intercedes for and saves his stupid friends. <laughs> Jesus is the true and better David whose victory becomes his people's victory, though they never lifted a stone to accomplish it themselves. Jesus is a true and better Esther, who didn't just risk leaving an earthly palace, but lost the ultimate and heavenly one, who didn't just risk his life, but gave his life to save his people. Jesus is the true and better Jonah, who was cast out into the storm so that we would be brought in. Jesus is the rock of Moses, the real Passover lamb, innocent, perfect, helpless, slain to the angel of death that will pass over us. He's the true temple, the true prophet, the true priest, the true king, the true sacrifice, the true lamb, the true light, and the true bread. This is how the Bible is written. It's written about him. And I think these two disciples, they were reading the Bible in a different way. They were reading it as about them and about what they had to do and about what they wanted to see happen politically maybe in, in Israel. But Jesus, he wanted to show them, illuminate the scriptures to them, that, that it's really all about him. And secondly, I think, we see this light of, of Jesus in the gospel in, in human culture. It's actually all around us. You see, there are stories written every day all around our world that whisper of a hope of, 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 of the gospel, a whisper of a hope of something bigger. Let me just refer back to the, the book by Sven Brinkman, What is a Human? Um, Andreas, you remember, he has a grandma, and what does she do at the end of her life? She sacrifices her magnum opus, her life work, her unpublished manuscript, and she gives it to him so that he will finish it and publish it. And who knows, maybe it will be remembered as, as his work, not hers. We don't know, but, but what is she doing there? She's substituting her glory for his. She's giving her life work to save him from his otherwise directionless life. And, and this is compelling to us. And this makes it into a trendy pop philosophy book in one of those, in Denmark here, in one of the most secular places in the world. Why is that? Because all attempts to figure out the realities in our world, they reflect the true reality, the story behind all stories, the story of Easter, of Good Friday, as of Jesus as a king who died and overcame with a sacrificial act of love. So that's the first point today the light of resurrection hope for our muddled minds. Um, but then we, we also see something else in this passage. We see heat. Jesus doesn't just bring intellectual clarity and, and some truth. He brings heat. You see, faith in the resurrection includes a personal recognition of the presence of Christ. And we see that in verse 30 and 31 towards the end of our passage today where he's walking with them. He's talking with them. He comes alongside them. And the, the story is written so brilliantly that they don't realize it's him. But he's there. He's with them. He's coming alongside them. And then he goes and he sits and he eats with them, doesn't he? You see, Christ, he is in our midst. And he is in the church. And that is where we find the heat, the warmth, the power of the, the resurrection. So first of all, I just want to talk about how Christ is in our midst. Like I said, he was walking with us or with the, these two disciples the whole time. 
And, and later on they say, did not our hearts burn within us while he was on the road, while we were on the road with him talking? But the thing is, they were too busy doubting the testimony of the women, weren't they? They were too busy being discouraged and, and sad even to see that Christ was right there. And of course, God had a plan in all this, but I think the text is saying something to us there. You see, we're, we're all born with this childlike hope and belief, aren't we? But at some point in our lives, we, I don't know, in an effort to become mature and realistic, we try to kind of stuff down all that sentimental stuff. Santa and Tooth Fairy. And, but I think often we throw the truth out with the bathwater, don't we? And then all of a sudden, epic tales that used to move us like the Lord of the Rings, they're just another occasion for us to swing the, the scalpel of skepticism and scrutiny. It's like, oh, that was a fun movie, but that's not real. That's not life. There's no good to be fought for. There's no beauty to be won. But Jesus says that there, that, that to us that there is spiritual strength, miraculous spiritual strength and love right around our shoulder. But we're too busy with our noses to the grindstone, being practical and efficient to experience the mystery of God that's all around us. The mystery of the resurrection. There's something within us that longs for this adventure. But we just kind of want to be sophisticated, don't we? <laughs> we want to quote Sven Brinkman and <laughs> feel feel smart. But but many of us will say, well, Christian, I, I'm just being realistic. I'm just trying to navigate modern life. But, but we have to realize that behind that realism, there's a cynicism we see in this passage. And, and we need to be honest with ourselves that cynicism, if God is true and real and on the throne, then that is a sin. It's wrong. See, in this passage, we see that their cynicism leading to kind of a, di a dis disregarding of these women's testimonies and, and literally saying, like, they don't know what they're talking about. We see cynicism all around us in the West. We see it in Denmark. Um, we see it in, in, in Europe. We see it in America. And those are, those are the places I know. So <laughs> um, one of my favorite Christian musicians, his name is Josh Gerls, and he's got a song. It's called Cynicism, and it goes like this. Cynicism is the sickness of my culture. We undress each other with an evil eye. Concentric circles, we look like vultures when we feast on the failures of the lies we criticize. And then he says, don't stand alone and cast your stones at her unless you think you're innocent yourself. The same measure that we use to condemn others will be the same that's poured out upon our heads. And then he says, we've all gone astray. We kick against the pricks, so convinced we know the way. But who can repay the love we sacrifice for an empire made of clay? An empire made of clay. That's what we, in an effort to be realistic, we're thinking, if I'm going to get ahead, if I'm going to live this modern life, if I'm going to be the successful person that I want to be, then I have to just get real and stop all this altruism and all this fantasy. And what are we sacrificing? Though? There's a love and a joy and a hope that we're sacrificing for this empire made of clay. Jesus, he's right there with us. He's all around us. And the other, the other thing that I wanted to point out from our passage today is that Jesus, the heat of Jesus' resurrection, it doesn't just come to us in our everyday lives. It also comes specifically in the church and in the ordinances of the church. Um, in verse 30, we see Luke say that when he was at the table with them and he took the bread and he blessed it and he broke it and gave it to them, that's when their eyes were open. 
and they recognized him. And at the very end, in verse 35, it says that at the table is where they recognized him, right? And and this, cha this chapter 24 comes two chapters after where Luke shows Jesus sitting down with his disciples and instituting the ordinance of communion or, or the Lord's Supper. And he uses very similar language here to kind of indicate that that's what's going on. The reason the disciples recognized him here is because there was a, a formality, a similarity, something that they recognized about when they were all together. He's, he's telling us that we need the church to recognize the presence of Jesus. You see, it's the church gathered under the word and under the ordinances of communion and baptism that we recognize and are changed by Christ's presence. And we live in a very strange time right now. Even right now, you're sitting in the comfort of your own home, away from your church family, which is a blessing and a curse, right? But we also live in an age of, of individualism. Um, there's an overemphasis in, in, in the West on the importance of us as, as individuals. And even in the church that we're guilty of, right? That we say like, hey, I've got my Bible reading. I've got me and Jesus, and that's all that I need. But we need, we need to remember that if we're going to, be changed by the presence of Jesus, the resurrected Christ. We need the local church. And many of you, maybe if you're not a Christian, you're listening to this, you, you think that you can figure out this whole God thing on your own. You can go into nature. You can ask these questions intellectually. But you've never really entered into a body of faith and met Christians that really believe this stuff and seen the power of a life of hope. You've never really known them or consider the claims of Christ in the family of, of God. God is a community. We need community. We need relationship. And in this midst now of social distancing, I'm going to challenge you to, to just remember and look forward and long for being together again so we can experience Jesus in that way. And I also wanted to say that there's some of, of you in FIBC who don't come from cultures that are so individualistic and and that is wonderful. I just want to say I'm, we're thankful that you're tuned in and you're here. And, and some of us who come from America and Sweden and wherever, we need your help figuring this stuff out. Like, how can we be more communal? How can we be more um, in touch with, with the life of Jesus in that way? So, again, we see Cle Cleopas and his friend start this story moping about the failure of their Messiah. And that's because their lens, the glasses they're wearing, they see death as always failure and the end, right? But when they experience the resurrected Christ, they have a paradigm shift. Suddenly, failure and death becomes fulfillment and life. You see, buried in death, there, there is a seed of eternal life. You see, suddenly failure is never vain for them because every little death, every little sacrifice and labor will find a reward in eternity. 1 Corinthians 15, like I mentioned before, has this long discussion of the resurrection. And at the end of that, in, chapter, in verse 58, we hear Paul say this. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. In the resurrection, our labor is not in vain. But, but again, I think many of us are more like these two disciples at the beginning of the story. We're like and Andreas from, from that Sven Brinkman book. When we hear about his grandma dying and won't be traveling, we're, we're surrendered to a cynical, mediocre kind of just get by life. When I was a kid, I dreamed of castles in the sky and elves in the woods, but now I know better. Death is the end. 
There's a song by 21 Pilots really popular right now. It's called um, Stressed Out. And it goes like this. I used to play pretend, dream of outer space, but now, but now they're screaming in my face, wake up, you need to make money. And then I say, I wish I could turn back time to the good old days when the mama sang us to sleep, but now we're stressed out. But today, but today I, want, I want to invite you to turn from the beginning of the story to the end of the story. I want to invite you to wake up with these two knuckleheads on the road to Emmaus. Wake up to what's right in front of you and sitting right there on, the, on, on your shelf in the pages of the Bible. You see, many people today discount the resurrection simply based on their own understandings, their own assumptions. Maybe you're an atheist or an, or an agnostic when it comes to the resurrection and supernatural, but why? Most likely because you're raised in a country like Denmark or something in the West with a default view of, of just the material world and that's all there is. Or your parents raised you in that view. But the basic method of science invites us to evaluate the things that we take for granted. And I, and I know that many of us have never done that. If you take a careful look at the evidence of the eyewitnesses in the Bible and the textual work of New Testament critics and philosophers, you will find compelling evidence for the truth of the resurrection. And I just want to compel, uh, recommend a book by N.T. Wright called The Resurrection of the Son of God, where he basically, in 600 pages, walks through all the history and shows the historicity of the resurrection. But again, in our passage today, that wasn't it, was it? It wasn't analysis of textual fragments that changed Cleopas. It was their own experience of the resurrected Messiah that changed them. They were actually unconscious of the fact that it was Jesus for a long time, but it was when they walked with Jesus that the resurrection hope gave light to their muddled minds and heat to their shuddering souls. So what about you? Have you, have you walked with Jesus? Have you started this journey? Are you living in doubt and defeat? Or are you, as Jesus says, are you, as Jesus says, slow to believe all the prophets have spoken? Well, then maybe today is the day for you to tap into that joy and victory that Jesus offers you. Isn't that what you want? I mean, don't you want to know that not a moment of your life is wasted? That every failure you've ever had will be redeemed when you yourself are raised with Jesus. That every death around us and pain that we're experiencing right now will be undone by the God who saves. This is a very interesting Easter this year, like we talk, we've been talking about. One that you will never forget, probably. You are sitting in the comfort of your own home. No, no church distractions, except for some kids maybe running around getting crazy. Will you look back on the corona crisis and say, well, we survived. We did it the Danish way, as the state's minister said this, this week, and it was the best. Or will you look back and say, God was right there with me. God used that time to transform me with the power of the resurrection. I want, I want you to take a minute to step into the mind of Cleopas. Don't you want to be surprised by joy? Don't you want the sadness and cynicism of your life to be turned into something beautiful and powerful? Then turn to God right now. Confess your sins to him. Ask him to forgive you in Jesus. And then rest in his powerful hands. Hands that made the world 
It can unmake the death and failure we're experiencing right now. Embrace the hope of the resurrection. Let God take your life and make it last for eternity. Let him take your frail body and unite it to Christ's resurrected body. A life of meaning. No more wasted steps. No more feeling like this is for nothing. Lasting, joyful, abundant life. So we're going to pray now. And, but I want to say, if this is your first time praying that prayer, I want you to talk to me or Pastor Eric or one of the others here afterwards and, and, and just start this journey with Jesus. He's right there with us. He's walking through this crisis with us. And then you will always remember this Easter during the corona crisis. But you'll remember it for, for a, a wonderful, a wonderful reason. I invite you to do that right now. Let's pray. God, we love you. And um, I, I do just think of the people sitting at home right now, Lord, and um, those who, who don't know the transforming power of Jesus and the resurrection, I pray right now that, that we would all, Lord, look to you. I pray that you would reveal yourself to us. Um, and I pray, Lord God, that we would ask for forgiveness. I ask for forgiveness right now, Lord, for my for my cynicism, for the times that I don't look to you, and but but also for those who have never looked to you, God, I pray right now that they would say, I'm sorry, Lord, I confess that I I doubt you. I turn away from, from the goodness that you've made me for. And we thank you for Jesus who made a way for us to be forgiven. And we turn to him right now and we say, we want to walk with him forever. We want him to be our savior. In Jesus' name. This has been a presentation of First International Baptist Church of Copenhagen, Denmark. To listen to more sermon podcasts or to learn more about FIBC, please visit www.fibc.dk or facebook.com forward slash FIBC CPH. Thank you for listening.